Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we have a, a building to, to gather in together. Uh, we thank you for your word and pray that it would enlighten us tonight, that it would speak to our hearts, uh, that we would learn how we ought to walk in order to, to please you and in order to win others to Christ for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kent. Uh, I'm part of the staff team here at City Light. And part of my role, uh, I get the opportunity every once in a while to be here at City Light U to share with you guys, and it's something that uh, I really value, I'm really grateful for. Uh, I have a lot of fun sharing in the Word of God with you guys. And yeah, so I'm, so I'm looking forward to, to being here this evening and digging into the Word of God. Uh, so recently I was having a conversation with a friend, and I don't know really how the subject got brought up, but we were talking about middle school basketball. Anybody play middle school basketball out there? Uh, the golden years. And so at, at my school in Colorado, uh, the, the kind of the rule is, is you have to be in eighth grade before you get to play on like the real basketball team. And when I say the real basketball team, I mean the team that actually gets to play against other schools in the area. And my eighth grade year, it felt like every single guy came out for the basketball team. So we had way more than enough for one team, and we actually had enough for, for three teams. And so our coaches... Uh, instead of putting, you know, sometimes they do like, uh, you know, A, B, and C squads where you have like the best team and then the worst team. But our coaches decided to kind of spread the players equally so that each team would be just as bad. And uh, so what, what that meant was is we ended up with a few guys on our team that just did not belong on the basketball team. They just were not basketball players. And there's this one guy in particular, uh, I'll never forget him because every time he caught the ball, you just wondered if he knew what it meant to dribble. So, you know, he gets the inbound pass or he gets a rebound. He was decently athletic, so he could run kind of fast, and he was all right at rebounding. But as soon as he would, like, catch the ball, he would, he'd look at the ball, and then he'd look around, and then he'd just start walking. And needless to say, he got called for traveling, and our coach was upset. But our, the crazy thing was our coach was never upset with him. He was always yelling at our point guard, like, why didn't you go grab the ball from him? He's like, coach, I was standing next to him. I don't know what else to do. And uh, he was just, he was not a basketball player. He didn't understand what it meant to dribble. And I, and I say that because there, there are certain things in sports that, you know, the fundamentals and tangibles that are pretty necessary for you to play. You don't have to be the best out of them, but they're kind of a requirement if you're going you're gonna to play basketball. You don't necessarily have to be the best. It doesn't make you a basketball player if you can dribble, but it certainly helps if you can. You know, same thing with soccer. You kind of need to know how to, to kick a ball. And I say those things... Because I think tonight's text is going to show us that there are some certain intangibles or certain fundamentals that are true for all Christians. They're not necessarily things that, that make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, uh, Paul is urging us to do these things. And the, the two things that we're going to look at tonight are evangelism and prayer. So I'm sure those things bring a, a lot to mind for you, but we'll get into that in a little bit. And these are kind of the last two things that Paul wants to teach us before he gets into his closing remarks. We, he's been spending the course of this letter uh, showing us the supremacy of Christ in, in every area of life, teaching us that, that Christ is Lord of all, and that in light of Christ's lordship, we should live our lives in a certain way, that our lives should reflect that inner truth, should reflect the new life that we have in Christ. And so the two things that Paul says that, that should be true for all Christians, not that they make you a Christian by any means, but the things that all Christians should do is that all Christians should pray and all Christians should evangelize. And so we have three points tonight, nothing uh, super creative, but very simple. Uh, point number one is that prayer is for all Christians. Point number two 
is that evangelism is for all Christians. And point number three is a bit wordy, so track with me here, is that our actions and words should reflect the new life we have in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those. We'll be in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And so point number one is that prayer is for all Christians. So verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So I think the simple point here that Paul says to the Colossians is pray. And I think by extension, we can say that, okay, Paul would say to all Christians that we should pray. And I don't think that's shocking to anybody like, oh my gosh, I never knew that. You know, I never knew that Christians were supposed to pray, but I think we would all agree that this is something that's important. If we took a a survey of the Bible, we would see this is a, a very central thing for the people of God. In the Old Testament, we find the book of Psalms, which is a a collection of 150 songs that were meant to be sung by the people of God uh, to God in order to be connected with him. And there there are various types of psalms. There are are psalms for for times of need, times of despair and pain and defeat. But there are also also psalms of, of joy and victory that we see as well. And David talks about praying to God morning, noon, and night. And so there's He seems to be praying a a lot in the Old Testament. As we turn to the New Testament, we see Jesus who modeled a life of prayer, that he would withdraw from the crowds to to pray, to be in communication with the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was betrayed, he, he went away and he prayed. He taught his disciples how to pray. He commanded his disciples to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. In other parts of the New Testament, Paul urges Christians to pray. He says that we should be praying at all times even. And in, in the book of Acts, we see that the, the New Testament church was characterized by their devotion to prayer. So we see quite clearly that, that prayer is very important. It's important for, for many reasons. I don't think I have to, to twist your arm to try and get you to say that. And, and there's many reasons it's important, and I could go into to all of those, but I really just want to focus on what, what Paul gives us here. And we really learned three things about prayer. Uh, he says that we should be steadfast, watchful, and thankful. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, I think sometimes we have this misconception that prayer should be, should be, we should be very intense in our prayer. And I think there, there's a, a place for that, but I don't think that's always the case. Where we think we need to, to be on our knees for, you know, 30 to 40 minutes every single time we pray. And that we should be in tears by the time we're done praying. And that, you know, that's successful prayer. But Paul's not referring to an intensity here, but he's referring to a, a, an inward devotion to prayer. That it would be a, a daily routine and just a, a habit of Christians to to be in prayer, that when we, we think of others, that we would be quick to pray for them. And when we confront things in our lives, that we would be quick in prayer. He says that we should be watchful. Should be watchful. And this is a, a word that Jesus uses a lot in the New Testament. It's this idea of being awake or being alert uh, of the surroundings, uh, being aware of the things that are happening around us. And Paul is calling us to be alert through our prayers, that we'd be engaged with the world around ourselves. Because the flip side of that coin is that we, we kind of fall asleep to, to life, where we kind of put, put things on autopilot. You know, you go a few weeks, and somebody might, hey, how, how have you been doing? And you kind of pause, and you're like, um, I think I've been doing pretty good. I don't really remember what I've been doing for the past few weeks. I, I think I went to class. Uh, I took a test. 
Yeah, so I, yeah, I guess things have been going pretty good. We, we fall asleep to life if we're not watchful and attentive in prayer. And so Paul would call us to be aware of things, be aware of what God is doing around us. And, and lastly, he says that we should be, be thankful. And uh, I, this is, I probably say this at the beginning of every single prayer, but I probably always, almost always only say it once. Like, I'll say something like, God, thank you for this day, or God, thank you for this meal, and then I'll move on to something else and, and start asking God for stuff. And so I think, man, I'm really not that thankful. And I really think that, that, that thankfulness is, is a Christian virtue that is meant to replace the anxiety and despair in our lives. Right? We spend so much time asking for the things that we want to change in our life that we, we become so fixated on those and wondering why they're not changing that we forget about all the good things that God has done in our life. You know, even things that God may have done a few weeks ago, we forget about those because we're not satisfied with the way things are. We should definitely bring our, our petitions to God and ask him for things, but we should not ask for so many things that we forget to be thankful and to build that heart of gratitude uh, that God desires for us. And so maybe you've heard this before, but prayer is, is communication with God. And, and, and for that reason, it's very, <clears throat> sorry, very important. Uh, and you know that if, if communication declines in any relationship, that that relationship declines as well. So if you have a friend who, who's maybe moved away to another state, you're probably still friends with that person, uh, but you probably communicate with them less. And so the, the friendship that you have with that person is, is not as deep as it used to be. It's, it's just what happens. And so if we neglect prayer, the same thing happens to our connectedness with God. We're no longer watchful, but we become distant from him and become kind of sleepy and letting life pass us by. If we disconnect from God in, in prayer... Our, our hearts of thankfulness will, will completely disappear and we'll just become embittered towards life, angry at all the things that we, we don't have and, and distant from God. Now, I think this, maybe this isn't news to any of you and you would say, yep, I agree with all that. I knew all that before. And we'd say, yes, prayer is important. But at the same time, I think all of us, if we're honest, would say that we struggle with prayer, that there, there are many times in our life where we feel like our prayer is, is inconsistent uh, it feels kind of dry or, or boring. And maybe it's not like that all the times. We, we go through seasons, and I have to confess that uh, probably this last year has been, uh, been one of the worst years of my life just for, for prayer. I've been kind of unmotivated. I don't know what to pray for. I feel like a broken record. And, you know, so I'm so distracted and unfocused in prayer. Maybe you guys have, have felt that way as, as well. Maybe you've felt that way as well, where you just can't quite seem to always stay in that mode of being committed to prayer. And I think when this happens, a lot of times we think that we're the problem. We think, man, I'm just not, I'm just not really gifted in prayer. Or, you know, the prayer is for the prayer warriors. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just a regular guy. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to do, to do that fancy prayer stuff. That's for the pastors or the missionaries. You know, I can't, I can't do that. But I think that's uh, one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves because we see that prayer is supposed to be central in the Christian life. And we know that all people can become Christians. It doesn't matter your, your education, whether you're educated or uneducated. If you're old or young, everyone can become a Christian. Therefore, everyone can have a, a rich prayer life because it's the, the Spirit of God that connects us with God. And since all Christians have the Spirit of God, then we, we should be able to have a, a fruitful and meaningful prayer life. And so I would say that the problem is not us as individuals, but our our problem is sometimes is, is our method. We don't really know what we're doing 
in prayer. And so I, recently I was reading a book, and I had a light kind of go on uh, for me. And there's this quote from a pastor, and he, he said, when you're praying, said, use the prayer book. All of his Bible said, use the prayer book. And, you know, maybe it's, it's too simple. You know, it seems too obvious. And I think I've probably heard something like that before. You know, like, pray through your Bible. I think this time it finally hit me how, how simple it is to pray through your Bible. And so my hope for you guys is that wherever you're at in your prayer life, that the, the Bible would be a real supplement to your prayer and that you see your prayer going from maybe a long, boring monologue where you kind of lose track of what you're saying and you, you, know, you fall asleep before you say amen and, you know, wake up in the morning and say, uh, amen, God, whatever I was saying. Like, that, that's my prayer. But don't include the dreams because those were kind of weird, you know. And so I, my hope is that the Bible would be a real tool to use that. And, and it's just as simple to, to read through verses and, and pray what comes to mind. So sometimes we make prayer complicated. We think, well, what if I'm not, like, if I don't understand the verse quite correct, correctly? We don't have to do, have any exegetical or hermeneutical skills to, to pray through the Bible. It's, it's simple. You, you read a verse and whatever comes to mind you pray that. If you don't quite understand the verse, you move on to the next one, and then you, you pray that. And I just want to demonstrate this uh, in Psalm, Psalm 23, so a familiar psalm, and the psalms are probably a great place to start, uh, but you can really, you can pray through the whole Bible. So you, it might be something like this. So you read Psalm 23, ver- verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. You might bring to mind and say, God, I, I thank you that, that you are my shepherd. I thank you that you're a, a good shepherd, who, who cares for me, that you, that you came to bring life abundantly for your sheep. And I thank you that you sought me and brought me in to be a part of your flock. Thank you for being my shepherd. Then you might think of your, your friend. You're like, Lord, I pray that, that you would be a shepherd for my friend James. I know he doesn't know you yet, but I pray that you would bring him to be a part of your flock as well. And you maybe run out of things to say, so you move on to the next part. And Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And God, I, I have so much to be thankful for. I'm, I'm not in want. Uh, I, have, I have food to eat. I have clothes to wear. I have a, a car. I have a place to live. And, and so I thank you for that. But I, I know my, my friend Daniel, who, who has really unstable living circumstances, God, I pray that you would provide for him so that he would experience that, that he would know what it's like to not be in want because of your provision. And it's, it, it's a simple as simple as that. And I, I do hope that that would enrich your prayer life, that you would use the Word of God to help you find words to pray to God. And there are um, what are called imprecatory psalms. Uh, it's a big word, not important, where the, the psalmist is kind of crying out for God's divine judgment. And sometimes you guys might think of individuals you'd like to pray for God to, to bring wrath upon. Uh, don't do that. Don't pray individuals into the text. But maybe instead you can think of a, a reoccurring sin in your life uh, pray that God would destroy that. Or maybe you see injustice in our world. Pray that God's judgment would come upon that. Now, before moving on to our next point, just a, a short word of encouragement for wherever you're at in your prayer life is that, that Romans 8 verse 26 tells us that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. That the Spirit of God dwells within us and intercedes on our behalf so that even if we don't feel like we have the right words to say, we have the desire to pray and that's a good thing, that no matter what comes out of our mouth, God understands what our desires are. He knows that. And one author put it this way, it says, prayer is the expression of desire. Its value comes from our inward aspirations, from their tenor and their strength. That the, the value in prayer is not necessarily in the words that we can come up with, but the value in prayer is that our desire would be towards God. It's not about speaking the words, but it's about the posture of our heart uh, that we would want to desire and pursue God 
in prayer. So our first point is that prayer is for all Christians. So moving on to our, our next piece here, that evangelism is for all Christians. So back to your Bibles, if you have them, uh, will be in verse 3 in chapter 4 here. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul was a, a great missionary. Uh, anytime we want to talk about missions or sharing the gospel, a lot of times we, we turn to Paul as our example. He was a tremendous evangelist. He played a very instrumental role in the building of the church and particularly played a crucial role in sharing the gospel to Gentiles. Paul was well-equipped. He was knowledgeable. He was gifted. His, his particular background made it very easy for him to travel in between countries and different regions of the world. In all senses, he, he was qualified to preach the gospel. And what strikes me here is that, that Paul asks for prayer. If anybody was equipped to do this work, it was Paul. But Paul realizes that his work is, is fruitless if it's not prepared first by, by the work of prayer. He realizes that only if God meets his work will there be fruit. He realizes that evangelism depends on God's movement, not his own work. Psalm 127.1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We ourselves depend on God to move first in order to see fruit in our lives. I think all too often we're so quick to run into to big projects or these big ideas we have for, for maybe a, you know, a big Bible study on campus or a big evangelistic effort or you know, we share the gospel with our friend, but we don't take the time to take that to God in prayer. We won't bring it to him and ask him. It is foolish for us to do that because we are completely dependent on God to work in order for us to see any fruit because it's only God that gives growth to our work. Another thing we see here is, is Paul's heart for evangelism. Now, I think his, his passion is evident. Uh, we see it elsewhere in the Bible, uh, throughout his letters and in the book of Acts. And the crazy thing to me here is that, is that Paul is in prison, and what he asks for is that the door would be opened. Not the door of his cell so that he could have personal freedom, but that the door would be open so he would have the freedom for evangelism, that he would have opportunities to share the gospel. And I think I'm so humbled by that because I think of all the excuses that I have for not sharing my own faith. All the times I say, well, the circumstances, they're just not quite right. I need to study my Bible a little bit more so I can answer more questions if people have them. You know, I, you know, I just need to, fin- I need to be focused on school first, and then I can share my faith later. And I think Paul would say, you're crazy. You can share the gospel wherever you're at. Paul is in prison, and he has a mind to share Christ in everything that he does. In City Like You, I would hope that we would have that same passion to, to share Christ in whatever circumstance we're in. And so, additionally, we see that Paul asks uh, the Colossians to share his own passion for the gospel. And I'll explain what I mean by that, is that he's asking for their prayer. And I think it's that in prayer, the content of our prayer really reveals the desires of our hearts. So you really know what you want in life by the things that you're willing to pray for the most. And so Paul is asking them to pray for for opportunities for evangelism. So he's assuming that they have a heart for evangelism, a heart for the gospel to move forward. And I was so convicted as I read this, and I was like, man, I don't remember the last time I prayed for somebody else to have an opportunity to share the gospel. 
I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, maybe, you know, praying for, for healing, you know, that my back would feel better or, you know, that my, my brother would, you know, be in a little bit better situation in his life. I pray for a lot of physical things, but rarely do I ever pray that God would open doors for other people. And I think my, my prayer should, should change to reflect a heart for the gospel. I should be, be praying for, for, for Jake Bliss that he would have an opportunity to share the gospel in his classroom. For, for Jake Peterson and Trevor Hagedorn to, to have an opportunity to, to share the gospel at Longhorn Steakhouse. And for those of you who are going on mission trips this summer, that you'd have an opportunity to share the gospel. And I would hope that we would be a community that would come to value the gospel and to value evangelism so much that we're willing to pray for other people to have an opportunity to share the gospel. So, Sidilat, you would our heart for evangelism be reflected in our prayers. Now, but before we move on, I want to define evangelism because I think there's a lot of images that come to our minds, uh, maybe a lot of misconceptions that we have about the terms. Maybe it's negative, maybe it's positive, but I, I want us to, to get a, an, a grasp on this because I think it is important and something that's fundamental to our lives as Christians. Now, I think a lot of times we, we want to kind of outsource the responsibility of evangelism, maybe to, to pastors, to missionaries, and so we think, okay, if I invite somebody to church, you know, that's, that's the start, and then somebody else is going to, you know, take care of the rest. Or I'll, I'll start a spiritual conversation, and, uh, you know, somebody else will kind of pick that up elsewhere. You know, that'll spark their interest. They'll, you know, get online, you know, look up some more stuff, and they'll become a Christian that way. And so we want to protect ourselves for some reason from, from sharing the gospel. We think, okay, yes, that's evangelism. Now, those are good things, but they're, they're not evangelism. It's good to invite people to church. I don't want you to, to stop inviting people to church, but that's not evangelism. Now, it's good to start spiritual conversations with people, but that's not evangelism. And so I would define evangelism like this, that evangelism is telling people the gospel, telling people the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just as simple as that. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to tell somebody about Jesus. A friend of mine in college, he, he made it so simple. He would, he would go up to people on the track team and he'd, he'd say, hey, can I, can I talk to you about Jesus sometime? And people would be like, yeah. And he'd go sit down and have like dinner with them and, and he would tell them the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I came across this, this joke in, in preparing for this. I want to share it with you guys. And so it's kind of a, a play on a passage in the Bible and it says this, uh, Jesus said to some, who do you say that I am? And they replied, you are the, the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being, the kerygma of which we find the ultimate meaning in our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said, what? <laughs> you know, I so it, it's, it's funny because sometimes we make it so complicated. You know, I think there is room for, for theology and to ask those deep questions, but we don't need to be talking about that stuff in conversations with people who don't know who Jesus is. Now, one short story on, on why this is important. So there's a, a guy who came to church for the first time, and uh, his friend had invited him, you know, listened to the message, and the preacher came up to him afterwards and was talking to him. And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, so glad that you came. I, you know, I hope you had a good time. You know, what, tell me, what did you think of it? And he said, you know, I, now I know the difference between joy and happiness. And I thought, oh, no! 
He completely missed the point. You know, he listened to this whole sermon, and that was the one thing he got. He's like, I know the difference between joy and happiness. And I don't know what the reason was. Maybe there wasn't a, a clear explanation of the gospel within the message. Uh, you know, maybe the language is too high, and he couldn't quite understand it, or maybe his heart wasn't ready for the gospel. But regardless, he left from that sermon still needing to know the good news of Jesus Christ. He needed someone to sit him down and say, this is who Jesus is, and this is why you need to follow him. We must clearly preach the gospel so that others might believe. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, 14, 14, I don't know what that means. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We must pray that God will prepare people's hearts, that God would open doors for us to preach, but we also must be faithful to clearly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is for all Christians because it's the, it's the very message that has changed our own lives, and, and we want to see it change the lives of others as well. On to our last point here is that our, our actions and words should be a reflection of our new life in Christ. Our actions and words should be a reflection of our new life in Christ. Picking up in, in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think there's a lot uh, that could be said here, but I just want to point out a, a few things, unpack a few things for us. Uh, and the first is that Paul says, tells us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And he doesn't lay out specifically what that means, and so we kind of have to kind of put the pieces together. But Paul has been laying out this argument that, that Christ should rule over every area of our lives and that it should manifest itself outwardly in the things that we do. And so Andrew talked about it last week, that because Christ is king, our relationship should look a little bit different. There should be a distinction in that. And so our lives should reflect who Christ is, what he has done in our lives, and that we have a new life in him, that things have, have changed. Because the, the way that you act is ultimately going to be tied to the message that you preach. Whether you intend it to be that way or not, the things that you say are going to be tied up with the message, or are going to be tied up with the message that you preach, or the things that you do. And so if you, so John Calvin, he's talking about this verse, he says, he says this, he says, nothing is more ready to occur than that unbelievers are driven from bad to worse through our imprudence, and their minds are wounded so that they hold religion more and more in abhorrence. It's many times, it's our, it's our own actions, he says. It's like, he says it's very easily for this to happen, very easy for this to happen, that, that Christians, that we will act so foolishly, so dumb, that we are going to harm those who don't know Christ. You know, we're going to injure their minds, and they're going to be even further away from Christ than when we encountered them. Now, an example of this, I was reading an article on ESPN yesterday, and there's a, a, college, a women's college basketball coach, um, a man, and he, he had an inappropriate relationship with one of the, the girls on the team, and so he, he got fired. And the sad thing about this story is, they, they, as they talked about his life, they said that he was someone who would frequently post, you know, Bible verses on his Twitter account, that he would always say that, you know, character was the most important thing for his players. And then he fell short of, you know, his very own standards that he was preaching. And I can only imagine how difficult it would be for him to rebuild that credibility with people that know him. And I can't even imagine, you know, maybe non-Christians looking into his life who would say, 
You know, like if you're not following the very things that you say, like why, why would I want to even, you know, look at that as well? You know, I, I say that I don't want to scare us at all. I don't want you guys to feel guilty and feel like your own actions are, are the reason that people don't come to Christ, that every person is, is personally and individually responsible for their response to Christ. They either accept him or reject him, and that, that guilt lays solely on the, the shoulders of that person. You know, so we're, we're not a guilt, but I would pray that we would be a community that our, that our actions would point people to Christ rather than pushing them away from him. Would our actions not be a stumbling block for other people to come and know Christ? So not only does our, our new life in Christ shape our actions, but I think it also informs our speech. That, you know, the words that leave our mouth, and not just the specific words that we say, but also how we present them to other people. So if you look back at, at verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now, I think for us as Christians, there's kind of two extremes that we, we go into when we interact with people who are, who are not Christians. Uh, on, on the one side, we kind, of, we kind of blend in. We do everything that non-Christians do. We say the same things, wear the same things. And sometimes they don't even know that you're, that you're a Christian. You know, they just assume that you're like they are. Then on the other side, you have somebody who's maybe overly spiritual and, and tries to make everything a moral decision. You know, like, should we watch the basketball game tonight? He's like, I don't know. You know, I think the basketball is, you know, the sport of the devil. And if you, we watch it, you, you might go to hell. And so there's two extremes. I don't think we want to be in either of those categories. And so I think Paul here is instructing us to be wise. You know, he's been talking about walking in a manner uh, that is wise, that is worthy of Christ. He says, full of grace. And so I think if we want to, to be, be Christians that interact well with non-Christians, we, we have to let the grace that dwells within us, that we have experienced personally from God, we have to let that well up from our hearts and express itself outwardly. That, that we would be so saturated with the grace of God that when we speak, we can't help but speak words of grace to those who are around us. You know, Jesus himself said that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Would our heart be so saturated with the grace of God that we can't help but speak with grace when we speak to those who are outsiders, those who are not Christians? I think we should, we should be warm and winsome with our words and, and not fill our speech with things that would distract from the gospel or even make the gospel seem unattractive. Uh, we should be respectful uh, of other people. And the, the truth is we, we think we're really smart, but we're not. And a lot of times we don't understand what other people have been through. Uh, you never know what somebody's been going through on that particular day or what they've experienced in their life. And so we should be cautious about the words that we say and how those might affect and damage another person. Now, City Like You, I want us to be a community that is, that is shaped by the lordship of Christ. That's been the the main focus of the, this whole series is that we would, we would walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. That, that Jesus ha, has called us out of death into life. That he has made us a, a new creation by his death and resurrection. He has paid the price with his blood so that we may live a new and full life in him. My prayer is that we would, we would be so enthralled with that message that our life would take shape to look like Christ's life that we would be devoted in prayer, that we would always be thanking God for the things that he has done, that we would be aware of his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy and kindness towards us, and that we would walk a life that, that models Christ, that is, 
that is wise towards outsiders, that, it, that is full of grace and seasoned with salt, so that we would be able to preach the gospel clearly and so that others might come to know Christ. Now, I want to invite the, the band back up. Uh, and I just want to close by, by reading a psalm for us. And I want to encourage you during this next song, if you, if you want to take some time in reflection, uh, some time to, to pray, uh, please feel free to do so to, to stay seated during this. And I'm going to read Psalm 67, and the, the, the band is going to continue to worship. And if you want to practice praying through the Bible, turn your Bible to Psalm 67 and, and just pray whatever the Spirit brings to mind in those verses. Uh, and then whenever you feel ready, you can stand up. Uh, and continue singing with us. Uh, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen.